Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Awesome. You guys look fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Those of you with us online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, can we give them a big hand? Would you guys welcome them? Thank you guys for being here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. I'm so glad you're here with us. And for those of us, uh, those of you who joined us for those 21 days of prayer that we ended yesterday and fasting for some of us, man, i got to say thank you so very much. Uh, we say this every year, but when we give God our first and our best, we can trust him with all the rest. Amen, somebody? And when we gave God our first and our best spiritually of our time, of our energy, uh, I just trust that he's going to bless the rest of this year with us. And so thank you for joining us there. We're in the series called Jesus Over Everything, and what we're doing in this series is we're talking about the things, and everybody has a thing, most everybody does, that can kind of get in the way of our relationship with God, can kind of stop our forward progress. And so the writer of Hebrews says that we're supposed to lay aside every weight, and especially those sins which so easily trip us up or beset us, he says. And, and so that's what this series is about, just God coming in and helping us see that thing that might be in our way from becoming the kind of person that God has for us, doing the stuff God has for us to do. And so that's what the series is about. You know, sometimes, and maybe this is just me, but I think there's probably more people than me that do this. Sometimes we can tend to think that maybe God is too busy um, doing more important things and maybe he's too busy working with helping more important people than ourselves to the extent that how could he have time how could he have energy? How could he have enough space um, in his mind um, to, to worry about, to help somebody like me with what I've got going on? We're going to go to the Gospel of John today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, John 3, uh, on your apps. Um, but throughout John's Gospel, and in, in, in others of the, of the Gospel texts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, we see this as well. But John's Gospel in particular is written... In such a way that we get to know by the end of the reading that we are serving a very, very personal God. So Jesus would have these one-on-one -on -one encounters with people over and over again. And he would, in each of the cases, when he would meet one-on-one -on -one with somebody, yes, he was there for the crowds. Yes, he was into the crowds. But he loved the individual person. And he would have these encounters with them, these kind of grace encounters. And he would do, do whatever it took to help them overcome that one thing that was in their way. And so this text that we're going to study today, John 3, is one of those grace encounters where Jesus is meeting with a, a religious man named Nicodemus. And he's going to do his very best to help Nicodemus see um, what he cannot see. He's going to help him overcome what he on his own cannot overcome. And, and, and so we see here in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that Jesus is Lord over religion, and he is Lord over sin. And I just want to break this down. Now, let me just say this. Nicodemus is, a, is an intellectual. Nicodemus is a religious elite. And, of course, so is Jesus. And the conversation is not a simple one. It's a little bit complex. So I'm going to need you to put on your thinking caps today with me. Those of us who, uh, who are prone to uh, wandering off in the middle, uh, I, I'm with you. I feel you. I, I might wander off while I'm up here. Right? I, 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 it happens every week. I might just run down some rabbit trail. At, I don't even know where I'm at at that point. Um, but, but try, try to focus in because we're going to learn some things that I hope, we'll learn some things intellectually that I hope will initiate a response spiritually in our hearts. 
right? So verse 1, chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee. Pharisees are a sect of very deeply religious leaders, intellectuals. A man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This was something called the Sanhedrin. The very best of the best would be part of this ruling council. So what we know about Nicodemus so far because of the word Pharisee is that he's religious deeply so. He is politically active, politically connected uh, in his community. He's educated way beyond the norm. He is, uh, as a result, financially secure, and he's respected as a leader in his community. For, For his day, Nicodemus has everything the world, his world at that time, had to offer, but Jesus is going to help him see that he's missing the most important thing, and that religion is not what saves him. So Nicodemus comes to speak with Jesus, and he says... He came um, at night, to Jesus at night. Now, some people say he came at night because the Pharisees did not like Jesus, were at odds with Jesus, and so he doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus. Maybe that's the case, maybe not, but that's an idea. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, huge honor that he uses that word, we know that you are a teacher who has come from where? From God, right? Sometimes I'll ask you to participate. You can if you want. All right, all right. For, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him, right? So Nicodemus is one of the great teachers of his nation. In fact, Jesus calls him in verse 10, some translations say he calls him the teacher. Like he's the best teacher there is. Like, but, but he recognizes, Nicodemus recognizes the, that even though Jesus is not of his tribe, the Pharisees, part of the Sanhedrin, there's something different. There's something powerful, enough so that he's willing to come and have a one-on-one conversation. And he gives him this high honor by calling him rabbi. Nicodemus says, listen, I know that God is with you because when I see you teach, the power of God shows up and is demonstrated in your teaching. And, and I've actually heard, and we read this in the text, um, people saying, We've, all of our teachers don't have the same kind of authority and power and potency that you do. Right? And Nicodemus has heard people say this. Things change when you speak. Lives change and God shows up and miracles happen when you speak. And, and, and so Jesus, Nicodemus doesn't come with an agenda. He doesn't have a question. He just comes to have a conversation. And Jesus picks the topic. And what he's going to share with, with Nicodemus is not complicated for those of us who've been following Jesus a long time because we have the benefit of hindsight. We know. But Nicodemus doesn't know what he's hearing for the first time here. And so... Nicodemus has studied everything, but he's missed the main thing. And Jesus wants to help him, deeply loves him, and wants to help him. So verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, important words right there, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, say this with me, they are born again. Unless they are born again. Now, Jesus says, I, when he says very truly, what he's saying is I'm telling you the truth. Right? This is an important phrase that is used all throughout John's gospel. Jesus says this over and over again. I tell you the truth. And what he's telling Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you've heard otherwise than what I'm going to tell you. You've heard all of your life that the way you get to God is this way. But what I'm going to tell you is different. But I'm going to tell you it's the truth. And for our benefit, in a world full of philosophies and, and, and lies and liars, right? It's important that we understand the truth. And by the way, Jesus says, I am the truth. 
I am the way and I am the life. And nobody comes to God unless they come through me. Amen, somebody? Now, that's not a popular idea, but it's the truth. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And so he says this great statement, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, or the word is actually born from above, right? The kingdom, as I understand it, is a place where there is a king and he reigns in that kingdom. Does that make sense, everybody? Right? He reigns there in, in, in that kingdom. Um, it, it's the place where, in, in, in a spiritual sense, that God is at work and where what he says goes. Dallas Willard said, it's the range of his effective will. And I'll give you, for instance, fellas in the room today, um, your range of your, your, your kingdom in your home is probably in your chair that reclines. Can I get an amen, right? Like, like in my chair, like, and as long as I have the remote, my way or the highway. Come on, can I get an amen? Nowhere else in the house is that true. Can I get an amen on that, man? Right? right? You don't get to decorate anywhere but that one chair. That's the range of your effective will. That's your kingdom. You're welcome, everybody. Right? Right? So, Nicodemus, nobody goes to the kingdom of God except they are born again. Now, I want you to understand what's going to happen throughout this, this text as we read. Is Jesus is creating these little pictures, these little understandings, hoping to get Nicodemus past the blindness of religion that has clouded his eyes. And so in each case, it gets a little bit, he, he tries something, it doesn't work, he tries something else. I want you to remember that. And so he says, the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, is only going to be experienced, seen by the people who are born again, born from above. You've got to be born again to experience that, Nicodemus. And the way I understand born again is that it's a fresh start. It's a, it's a, it's a change of of. of ownership. It's a, hey, I was doing life my own way. I was making my own decisions. I was sort of the, the captain of my own ship, and I realized I'm not going in the right direction. I turn, I repent, I turn, and I ask somebody else to be the Lord of my life, right? That's a fresh start. And, and he's saying to New, Nicodemus, you're go, it's going to take tremendous humility on your part, Nicodemus, to erase much of what you've learned and begin again, begin again, born again, and you're going to do that by trusting that what I'm telling you is the truth. That's, what we're, that's where we're at so far. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about born again? Look what he says, verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? That make, that's logical, right? right? So this is the way Nicodemus' mind's working. Nic- Surely they cannot enter a second time into their, into their mother's womb to be born. Now, he, he's like, if, if, so if I want to go see the kingdom that you're talking about, Jesus, the kingdom of God, what you're saying is I have to climb back into my mom. She will hate that. Can I get a witness, lady? She worked so hard to get me out the first time around. And not to mention I'm 50 now or whatever old he was. There's sociological, there's psychological, there's biological issues here. How can this be? Yes? Right? You guys tracking with me? Right? He, he, so, so Jesus goes, all right. How can, verse, verse 5, please. There we go. Jesus answers in response. Very truly, he's trying another tact now. I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And he's going to unpack what he means here in this verse. He doesn't tell us what he means yet, but he's going to tell us what he means as he goes on. And, and he's working hard to get Nicodemus to understand the notion of being born again, which is something that is so foreign, as we'll see to Nicodemus's mind. 
So he's like, there's a physical birth and there is a spiritual birth and nobody enters into the kingdom of God without a spiritual new birth. And do you know why? Let me, let me just segue here. Jesus, Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus this, but let, let, let me for our benefit say this. Do you know why we have to have a spiritual newness, new birth? Because Romans 6.23 says, and the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, nobody likes to hear that kind of language. You're like, like, it's like don't tell me hard things, pastor. Like, I, I'm, not tell, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Okay? So, so all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, we are, tor- we are told that this, this statement is true. Like, like, like when we commit sin, we are, we are separated from God, like before we come to Jesus, right? And we, we, we would not deserve anything other than chastisement, retribution, discipline from God. Every time we sin, God would not be out of line uh, because of his justness. And the Bible tells us that our God is a just God. His justice demands penalty, right? That's what we're told through, throughout the text. And so he would not be a mean or nasty God if he gave us exactly what we deserve, this. That's the wages or the penalty of sin is death. But guess what Jesus comes with? He doesn't come just with justice. He comes with mercy. And, and, and so here's what mercy looks like in Psalm 103 or 8. Our Lord is merciful, compassionate. Say this with me. Slow to anger and what? Abounding in loving kindness. That's verse 8. Verse 10 says, like, God does not repay us according to or to our sins. Is that good news? Yes or no? Right? God would not be out of line if every time I had a bad thought or had a sin, he just whacked me over the head like a whack-a-mole. Pow, Danny. Whoa, I'd be black and blue if he did that. It's his mercy that, can, that, that, that prevents that for us. You understand that? And so when Jesus comes, he, he, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says um, that God himself was reconciling the world, all of us, to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Great news, by the way. If it's not for you, it is for me, okay? So, so if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what Nicodemus is being told, uh, but not in the way I'm telling you. He's, he's expected to just understand this because he's bright and he's smart. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have experienced a complete and total miracle. You were, the Bible says, that we, you were dead to God and you are alive to sin, right? And now, because of Jesus, you are alive to God, and you are dead to sin because of the new birth, right? Judgment was our destiny, right? And now, forgiveness and grace is there for and given to you. We were, the Bible says, we were the enemies of God. Like, nobody wants to hear that, but that's in the Bible, by the way. We are, we were the enemies of God, and now, because the Spirit has made us new, we are the children of God. We were to be eternally separated from God, but now we will live forever eternally present with God. We went from death, the wages of sin is death, we, we went to life. And, and God did all of that for you. And Romans 6.23 wasn't done. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In one verse we go from death to life. Aren't you grateful for that, somebody? That's what this new birth that he's talking to Nicodemus is all about. And so verse 6, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. He's unpacking what he said about being born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth 
to spirit. Now again, complicated because he's talking to a religious elite. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Now here's what he's telling Nicodemus. This is what I think he's saying. He's saying, Nicodemus, just because you were born into a good Jewish family who had a good kind of religion doesn't mean you're part of the kingdom of God. And I would have to tell me and you the very same thing that Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Doesn't matter if you were, I've been a Christian all my whole life. Not really. The Bible says, behold, I was born and shapen in iniquity. Right? That's what the psalm says, right? I was born into sin and shaping in iniquity. I wasn't born a Christian. Like, all you got to do is wait till your baby grows up to about one and a half, and you'll know they are sinners. Can I get a witness, amen? Not my baby. Just keep waiting. All right, anyways. We love them, but just keep waiting, right? So just because your family was born into, you were born into a good home where they taught you the right stuff at the right church, being born into a good family who believes the right things doesn't save you. That's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spiritually, flesh cannot give eternal life. The way you're born, the family you're born into doesn't give you. It's not enough just to be born into this world through the waters that come from your mother's birth canal and into a decent family, into a decent church. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The Spirit of God comes in side of your heart and He does the miracle for you. And then He says this, you should not be surprised at my saying, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. This is Jesus getting a little bit irritated. Like, bro, like you're smart, man. How are you missing this? So, so, so it's like, Nicodemus, this is just basic understanding of how God works. God, by his spirit, comes inside of people's hearts, and he makes them new creations. He gives them a new identity. He changes their heart of stone, Ezekiel says, uh, into a heart of flesh, like a heart that's alive in God. Like he does, you shouldn't be surprised, but Nicodemus is boggled at this point by, by what he's being saying, being heard, hearing. So Jesus goes on and tries to paint another picture. The wind blows wherever it pleases, right? Anybody ever told the wind where to go? How'd that work for you? Someone, right? The wind the other day came in and blew about half the shingles off our little old house over there. Like, but the, the good news is that in the 50s when that house was built, they built it better than they build it now, right? So this building, which is brand new, leaks every time it rains. But that 55-year-old building with no shingles never leaks when it rains. Praise God for powerful people who knew how to build houses back in the day. If you build houses today, I'm sure yours are awesome. All right. <laughs> this one's not. Anyways. I was see what I told you about here? I just get lost right in the middle. I don't even know where I was at. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a verse here. All right. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going from. What he's saying is you can't see wind. You can only see the effects of it. Yes or no? Right? So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's talked about being born of water. Now he's talking about being born of Spirit. Flesh gives the birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now, now let me tell you what's happening here. He's saying, Nicodemus, when you get born again, it's the Spirit of God that comes inside of your heart and regenerates you or makes you into a brand new creation. Nothing else. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has to come inside and make us new. And in fact, Paul would go on later on in Ephesians chapter 1 and, and verse 13. He would say, and you also were included in Christ. This is how this happens, he's saying. When you heard the message, when you heard the message with your ears, uh, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you, what? Believed, trust, trusted in. Right? When you trusted him, you were then, in that moment, you were marked in him with a seal. What, what was the seal? 
the promised Holy Spirit. In the very next verse, he says, which is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, which is heaven, the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying here. All right? So Jesus says, this is how it is with everyone who is born again with the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God is in you, you know it in the same way that you know the wind is blowing. You see change. You see movement. You see things rustling. You see the wind, right? You don't see the wind, but you see the effects of it. He says, when, you, when the Spirit of God comes inside of you, there is change. There is life. God's Spirit is the wind. It is blowing through you. He's helping you move forward in life. He's making, helping you make better decisions. He's helping you say no to sin and the things of the world, right? And yes to God and His ways. And his force and his power and his authority and his presence is seen in your life in the way the wind is seen in other places by transformation of our lives. That's what he's saying here. And, and, and so Nicodemus in response to this is not, oh, I get it. He says, how can this be? Right? Dude's a little dense. And anyways, how can this be, he says. He's not dense. He's blinded by religion. Nicodemus is, let me tell you what Nicodemus is struggling with right now. He's, he's wondering, what's my part in all of this? You're talking about all this work that God does in my life. And he's been, Nicodemus has been taught from the time he's a baby that what you do matters. You have to earn it. You have to obey the laws and obey the rules and work all this out. You, you, and Jesus feels compassion for him in this moment. Jesus, desperate to help him see, is going to, speak right to his face and try to unpack religion's hold in his life. I'm going to skip for time, verse 13. Jesus says, okay, let's try another one. Let's try a new thing. Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has, say this with me, descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself now. But he's foretelling this because we know at the end, when Jesus is resurrected, what does he do? He ascends into heaven, right in front of 500 people. We know this, right? So he's like, nobody's ever ascended into heaven except me, the one who descent, who came down from heaven. Now, this is complicated because it's theologian to theologian, so let me help you understand what I think is happening here. What Jesus is doing with Nicodemus is he's, he's, he's confronting Nicodemus' ideology. He's, con- he's c- comparing and contrasting Two worldviews, two religious worldviews, that is. Two ideologies. One is ascended. The other is descended. So, so just so we understand here, please, please stay with me. I know it's complicated a little bit. There is a God in heaven, yes or no? Right? He is holy. He is other. He is perfect in all his ways. And the Bible says because of his holiness, he cannot tolerate sin at all. He cannot even be around it. He cannot, he, it, 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 he cannot be it. The problem with that notion is that you and I are what? Sinners. Not me. I, I raised my hand in the fifth grade. You're a still sinner. Come on, come on. Everybody with me, right? You're saved by grace through faith, but we are sinners, and he is holy. So what happens is there is this gulf, there is this gap that exists between God, the holiness of God, and the sinfulness of me, and I won't talk about you. I'll just talk about me, right? There, there's a gap. So how does the relationship with, between me and God get reconciled? How in the world can I get to God when God is like he is and I am like I am? Now, every religion, every religion, uh, all the great world religions, all of them, ha- except for Christianity, 
have to do with people trying to ascend to God. And the problem is, no one has ever done that, right? So, so how do we go up to God? Well, religion says it's by our own efforts, our own works, good behavior. Some religions would say it's karma, good karma. In other words, at the end of my life, my pile of good better outweigh my pile of bad, yes? Right? So you'll hear sometimes people say, oh, man, he, he was a good man. He went to heaven. Well, he may have gone to heaven, but not because he was good. Yes? I know that's, that's, you're like, oh, no. You know, I got to, right? Not because he was good, right? This is what is religion, right? Good behavior, good karma gets me to heaven, and, and, and that's religion. And every religion in some form or fashion teaches us how to ascend how to make it, how to get there by the stuff we do. That's works-based theology. Uh, good people go to heaven, bad people don't. Do your best, you get to go to God forever. And Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, I know you actually believe that, but no one has ascended into heaven except me. No one, by their good works, by their efforts, by their religion, has ever gone there except me. Nicodemus lives in this world. I want you to just understand Nicodemus' mindset. And here's the thing, it's not just Nicodemus's mindset. It's people in this room. It's people watching online. It was me my whole life, right? Nicodemus lives in a world where you obey the rules, you go to the synagogue, you give some money, you memorize the Torah, those first five books. You, you do certain things, and then God loves you. You earn it, you work for it, you accomplish it. Yes, God is involved, but so are you, right? How can this be, he says. Like, Jesus, you're making it sound like that... This is something that God does. Like, he does all this thing. Like, how can that be? Surely it can't be that God comes in and fixes us and God heals us and God gives us power to live right, to do right. And, and God teaches and God's spirit blows life into us. How can this be? Nicodemus is blinded by religion with all its rules and expectations and rigidity. And he just can't grasp the simplicity of the gospel. He's been working for working out his salvation his entire life. It feels wrong to him because it takes, it takes out his effort, uh, out of the picture. And he's been on the self-improvement plan his whole life. And some of you, in spite of what you know, in spite of what you learn, in spite of the fact that you gave your life to Jesus, you also are on the self-improvement plan and you don't even realize it. That's why I want to tell you this. And, and so Nicodemus thinks, I ascend to God by following all the rules and making sure my pile of good outweighs my pile of bad. But here's the issue. How do you know when you've done good enough? Let's just ask that an intellectual question. How do you know if you're good enough? Like there's no meter on you like, oh, my gas is more than half full, so therefore I'm, I, I can keep going. There's no, there's no gauge. How do we know if we've been good enough? And Jesus would say the other option is descending. Now, now, think about this with me. This is Jesus. This is Jesus who's saying, Nicodemus, we don't go up. We don't ascend up to God. God loves us so much that God himself comes down. Nicodemus, don't you remember Isaiah? Emmanuel, God with us, right? And, what's that? and Jesus comes along in John 1, and, and he says, I tell you the truth. There it is again. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down. And who are they going up and down on? The Son of Man, Jesus, the one who is what? 
the stairway between heaven, between us and God. Jesus himself saying, I am the bridge. I am the, 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 the bridge between us, the ladder that, that helps us do this. So Jesus doesn't show us the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. Right? Jesus doesn't merely come to show you the way up. Jesus comes down himself and becomes the way, and he carries us up. Jesus doesn't ultimately give us a how-to, because Christianity is ultimately about a who-to. Who do we take our burdens, our sins, our mistakes? Who do we take them to? And Jesus is saying, you take them to me, and I'll take you up. Right? Jesus descended. Do you know what that means? Philippians 2 talks about how God came in Jesus, and he emptied himself of all of the things that, that made him kind of God. He didn't empty himself of his divinity, but all of his rights and privileges, he dumped them out. And, and it tells us in Philippians 2 that he took on the form of a servant, right? And so down comes glory. Down comes perfection and enters into a world and becomes a servant or a slave for us. Down comes deity into death. Even the, the Old Testament says that cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Down comes deity, right? And, 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 and down comes into the unspeakable, shameful death, the cursed death, the death that, that proclaims this one bears the condemnation both of man and of God. Down comes deity into death, even the death of the cross, Philippians 2 says. Do you know what this means? It means that there are no depths deeper than the depths that Jesus came down. He descended down when he got on that cross. Enduring unimaginable agony of body. But not just that. He, he, he faced the rejection of his own family, his own people, his own disciples. The silence of the Father, right? The, the full weight of all of our sins on his shoulders, the, the, the white-hot fury of heaven's justice that was because of our rebellion. Pressing down on him, Jesus plums the depths of pain and humiliation and abandonment and rejection and grief, and he goes all the way down to the very bottom for our sakes. He descended. There may be regions of, there may be realms of suffering and sorrow and grief and pain that some of us are feeling right now so profound that we can barely keep our heads above water day in and day out. Pain so deep that we think no one will ever understand except Jesus. There is no darkness so black that his light of, the light of his face cannot find us. There are no depths into which you ever may descend in your person, personal being that, that you will not find him already there able to comfort you in your sorrows. I don't know how lonely you feel but, but he does. I don't know what kind of shame you might feel about what's happened to you or what you've done. But he's felt unimaginable shame and condemnation as he hung there naked on that cross in front of all those people. I don't know what you're dealing with, but I want you to know he came down to be with us. There is ascending religion that you go by your own good efforts, but no one will ever make it that way. Or you can take this other ideology, Nicodemus, which is God came to where you. And what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus is that when you couldn't get to God, despite all of your best efforts, Nicodemus, God came to you. I came for you. Now, now here's the tragedy, though. Jesus is there with Nicodemus, personally, 
doing his best to convince him how, how it really is, not the way he's learned. And Nicodemus is trying to figure it out. All he's ever known is religion. You, you, you follow the rules. You obey all of them. You do the hard stuff. And, and, and if you're lucky, when you get to the end, you'll get to ascend to God. And Jesus realizes, despite all of these different efforts, all of these different tacts, that it's not getting through. And so Jesus takes Nicodemus back to an Old Testament story that he's sure Nicodemus will know. And he says in verse 14, all right, Nicodemus, this is what Jesus is doing. I've tried my best to explain it to you in a way that you can grasp, so I'm going to give you one last try. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's talking about it. When you see the Son of Man, it's Jesus talking about himself. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, say this with me, that everyone who believes, puts faith, puts trust in, may have what? Eternal life in whom? In him. Just as or in the same way. And what he's referencing here is a little known story from Numbers. The book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 8. There's this time. I just got to give you this real quick so you can understand this text. There's this time in the wilderness. The people of, of Israel have marched out of, of slavery, out of Egypt. They, they've gone out into the wilderness. Because they wouldn't obey God, they're wandering around for 40 years. You remember this story? They're just wandering around, and they get angry at God. And they start murmuring against Moses, like, rah, 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 well, Moses, he's a loser, you know, whatever they're doing, right? And, and they're sinning against God, and so these snakes come into their camp, encampment. How many of you guys know there's some snakes in the wilderness? They're not just snakes on a plane. Come on, there's snakes in the wilderness, right? And so these snakes come out, and they start biting the people. And the people start, listen to me, the people start to die. And so they're freaking out, and they come to Moses and say, Moses, we sinned, and we know we did. Please, would you pray to God to, to, to stop this? And so in verse 8, God says to Moses, I want you to fashion a, a serpent out of bronze. I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to put it, make it tall. Go sit out in the middle of the camp and, and tell everybody when they get bit, and they're going to get bit. Some of them are going to get bit. When they do, instead of them trying to, like, you know, remember back in the old days, like when I was a kid, there was movies where a guy would get bit by a snake, he just, he just whip out his knife. Come on, y'all know what I'm saying, right? And he'd like make a little X and then try to suck the poison out. Anybody? Okay, just me. All right. I liked a lot of cow. That doesn't work, by the way. Go to the hospital. <laughs> Call 911. Right? Right? So this is what's happening. He says, so here's what I want you to tell them. The best thing I can tell is when they get bit, you tell them, go out and look at that serpent. And they will be healed. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. Do you understand this part right here? Just as Moses did that. So let me ask you something. When they looked at that serpent, was it this bronze serpent that heals them? No. Right? No. What, what does heal them then? Faith. To believe what I'm telling you is the truth, Moses is telling these people. If you will just look in faith, obey the word of God that God gave me to you, you will be healed. And so, and so, here, here, so Jesus knows that this is getting in his way, so he calls to mind Nicodemus. Do you remember when that happened? This is exactly how it's going to happen now. Just as that, so, so, um, so, so here's what happens. Now, let me, I'm just trying to skip down here. One other verse real quick. This is John chapter 6. This is a few chapters later. Here's what Jesus says. 
Some people go, hey, how do we know how the will of, what the will of the Father is? And so, so Jesus tells them, for this is the will of my Father that everyone, look at this with me, say it with me, who looks on the Son and believes, trusts, put their loyalty in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Nicodemus, do you remember the story from Numbers? Do you remember how that happened? I'm telling you, just, at, just as Moses, in the same way that that worked then, what I'm telling you is what's going to work now. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And Jesus says in another place, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Let me just remind you, at Golgotha, on that crucifixion hill, there's a cross laying down. They've beat Jesus' back bloody. They've pressed a crown of thorns into his brow. And so they take him and they lay him down. And they spread out his arms on that cross beam of that cross. And they nail those nails into his hands. And then they, they take his legs and they, they wrap them up and they, and they nail his feet to that vertical beam. And then what do they do? Come on, what do they do? They lift him up. Come on, they lift him up. And they put him there and they lay him in a hole in the ground and he hangs there. If I be lifted up from the earth, anybody who looks at the sun and believes, just as Moses told those people in the wilderness, they will be healed of their sins. They will be, they will be healed of the effects of their sin. They will be cured in the same way. So it, it, he's saying if you wanted to be healed in numbers, you had to look up to that symbol, to that serpent. Now, if you want to be healed, you need to look up at the Son of Man and believe in Him. This is what he's saying. You see that crucified, suffering, dying Jesus for, therefore, the sins. We are brought into right standing with God, everybody. This is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. We are brought into right standing, God. We experience new life, new birth when we look to that cross. And say, I believe, I believe that that one act of love can save me. I've learned that I can't save myself. I've learned that by my own religion and by my own religious efforts, I can't save me. When I look at him with authentic faith, we will be healed in the same way that Moses did that. Nicodemus, if you'll do it, if you'll look to me, not by religion, not by your rules, not by your regulations, not by a number of steps. We are saved by faith, through grace, by what Jesus did for us on that cross. We are brought into right standing when I say, I believe you, God. I believe, I confess that. I believe that, with, I confess it with my mouth, I believe it with my heart, and the gospel of grace then does two things. Not only does Jesus pay the penalty of our sins, which is the most important thing, but I'm going to tell you another thing that I've learned. It's beautiful for me. It's an understanding that I have now. That not only does it, does it forgive me and, and heal the, the sins that I've committed, it also allows me to have healing and wholeness from the sins that have been committed against me. Has anybody ever harmed you? Has anybody ever done something terrible to you? Are you carrying the, around the weight of your past, the shame, the guilt of what's been done to you? Then the cross can help you and deliver you and heal you of that just as well. And that's a beautiful thing. And so Jesus, not wanting Nicodemus, he doesn't want him just to understand this intellectually because he's an intellectual, 
but he wants them to get a, a, an emotional understanding in his heart. And he says, Nicodemus, now this is our verse, right? Verse John 3, 16. Put it for me, would you? This is our verse, right? But this verse was just meant to Nicodemus for this moment. Does God want us to have it for later? Yes. But this is a word for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, for God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son. And he's talking, he's foretelling again. He's, he's giving me that whoever, what? Believes in him shall not perish eternally, but have, what? And the Lord will raise him up on that last day. The question is, Nicodemus, do you believe this? That, and the, verse, the next verse he says, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but, but, but that through him, through Jesus, the world might be saved. That's the gospel, everybody. It's not religion. It's not your efforts. It's not you ascend. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, God loves you so very much that he sent me to become the bridge between you and God. It's not your religion. It's not your efforts. It's just me. Trust me. Put your hope in me. Put your faith in me. And, 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 then, and then Romans 8, 32, for God, he who did not spare his own son. Do you want to know how much God loves you, Nicodemus? Do you want to know how much God loves every one of you, those of you who are online? It's that God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, an agonizing death on the cross. Why? Because of his great love for you. Because of his great love for me. And because somebody has to pay the price once and for all for my transgressions, for my sins, for yours. And God says, I love you so much that I will send my only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How much more could God do to show you how much he loves you. Paul says that, that the cross is the, it, it is the unspeakable, it is the indescribable proof that God loves you so very, very much. Story for Nicodemus becomes your story and my story. And now, the, the, now, now it's what will we do? What do we do with that? We do what we ultimately see Nicodemus do. We see later on in the story that he's there helping him remove the body. He believes. He's there. He, he, he makes it. He, he changes. He changes teams. Come on, somebody. He makes it there. And now it's your and I's turn. So, Lord, I come to you, God. And I want you to pray with me. God, I, I'm praying first, Lord, for people who may, like I have, and I still sometimes do, honestly, struggle with religion. God, I'm praying for people who, who think that maybe, yes, God saves me in the beginning, but now I have to sort of keep earning my way there. I just pray for folks that we, they would just realize and they could rest in the love of God who is for them, who is with them, who came down, who descended on our behalf because we could not ascend. No amount of effort can cause us to ascend. No one, Jesus says, has ever ascended except himself. And that the fact that God came down and he loves us so much that he would come to prove himself, to prove his love, to pay the price that I could never pray, pay in a thousand lifetimes of doing good. Thank you for that. And I'm praying for people maybe here in this room and online. 
would say, you know what, I've never, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've never, I didn't really even understand all of this. And, and maybe, God, I'm praying despite my weak effort that people would hear the word of the Lord. That maybe they've seen something they didn't see before. And maybe they're feeling something right now, this urge, because Jesus says that I'm knocking on heart's doors, and if anybody would open the, the, the door, I'll come in, I'll come in. And that's the invitation on the table, Lord. And so we just pray, God, I believe that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead, and, and, and I'm going to confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Could you just say that with me? Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe that, in my heart, God, that you were raised from the dead and you've come to pay the price and to bridge that gulf, that great gulf that exists. And so I confess that and I invite you in, Lord. You're knocking. I hear you. I'm opening the door. Come and live in me. I confess that. I believe that. Make your home in me, I pray. In Jesus' name, God, I pray this over all these beautiful people, God. I pray for everyone here, everyone watching, God, that they would feel and experience and know the love of God that it's deeper than they know, that it's wider than they know, that it's taller than they know, that they would comprehend the love of Jesus for them, I pray today. Thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Anybody said a good amen. Come on, can we clap for those who prayed that with us today? Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.